0: Good evening, everybody. I'm going to start out with a a Joni Mitchell tune about winter.
1: Thank you very much, Skylar. That's two weeks in a row. Skylar has Advent led us in Joni Mitchell, and I think that's a that's a good new tradition in Emmaus Way. I like it. I like it a lot. Welcome to Emmaus Way. My name is Ben. I'm on staff here. We're glad you're here with us on what seems to be a fairly sleepy fourth week of Advent evening. Um, but yeah, we're sort of closing out um, a season we love very much uh, as we're looking forward to Christmas tide, which we'll be celebrating next week. But In our fourth week of Advent, we've been going through tracing themes of expectation, of hope, of illumination, and so we're going to continue that. Um, And I think this week, Ellen and Joy are going to lead us and read our Advent reading and light the candles for us.
2: Tonight, our anticipation leading up to Christmas draws near. Tonight, we light the fourth candle, a candle of peace. Given our current political climate, we are often tempted to think of peace in the negative sense as an absence of conflict, violence, or war, rather than the presence of harmony, fullness, and rest. While those may be aspects of peace, this negative definition limits our understanding of peace to a temporary state, that is easily shattered as soon as there is conflict or violence again the peace is lost but as we light the, the peace candle tonight we're faced with a different reality of peace peace not simply as the absence of conflict but rather peace in the biblical sense of shalom as wholeness justice and rest Peace in this sense is not a temporary state, but rather a permanent condition. It's something that can't be lost. And so now we relight the first Advent candle, reminding us of our ongoing expectancy of Jesus' coming. We relight the second candle of hope, which clarifies the posture of our expectation. We also light the third candle of illumination, declaring that Jesus is the light of the world, and finally, We light the fourth candle, the candle of peace. As we light this candle, we boldly proclaim that Emmanuel draws near, Jesus the Christ, a babe born in a manger who brings with him a new reality.
1: Ellen, thank you, Ellen. Thank you, Joy. So, uh, next step in our sort of Advent liturgy for the evening, as always, is our community songs. We're going to ask our kids to lead us in that. Thank you, kids. So, welcome again. Um, a few things, sort of reflecting back on some things that have happened in our Advent season and looking forward a little bit. Um, the first is, um, what a fantastic week we had last week. I mean, it was, yeah, as quiet as this was, it was the exact opposite of that. Um, so yeah, it was just just a really a fantastic <laughs> event, and I feel like SK, I think, has some words from... Just a follow-up and words from Marsha Owen about, about the event. Yeah, yeah so we got a note from Marsha
0: just of uh, thanksgiving to the musicians and um, to Mark and the vision of this community and making that possible. And uh we raised over thousand dollars for the second Um they're halfway to their goal. so they're confident that they'll be in operation by March for the food reducing movement. So thanks everybody for making that possible and
1: participating. To... Thanks, Escan. Yeah, what just yeah, could superlative, superlative night. Thank you for all, so many of you, you know, brought things and invited people, and it yeah it turned out to be a really beautiful thing, so thank you for that. Something to celebrate, and hopefully, yeah, something we'd like to continue, a sort of Advent benefit tradition, maybe, so yeah, stay tuned. Um, second thing, I think Dave Tyson's going to remind us about our
3: yeah, just a reminder that if you would like to uh, give to May, so financially invest in this community, financially in the 2015 year, you have to make a contribution by uh, December 31st, that means if it's going to be mailed, it has to be postmarked by December 31st. Um, if you're going to use clover, just uh, need to get it in prior to that time. And as always, Silver Bowl, so, uh, two weeks if you would like to give in 2015 to do that. December is always very important month for us uh, financially to make this community happen. Um, So we thank you for your generosity uh, that goes towards paying for our staff and these artists and the uh, children's workers in the back. So if you have any questions um, as far as you don't remember what you've given this year, um, feel free to to talk to me and get in touch with you on that.
1: Thanks, Steve. And the third thing is uh, so this is our fourth week of Advent. Next week we're sort of planning on no, no stations next week, but a sort of toned down, you know, Christmas gathering, probably acoustic music for Mark, and Molly's going to be doing the homily. So there's going to be a thing um, that you're invited to if you're here, or bring family in for it. Um, but then the week after that, uh, we're planning a sort of one of our Eucharistic celebratory meals. We're going to sort of dedicate the whole evening, 5 to 6.30, to a, a potluck meal. We think we've identified chili as the dish of choice. Um, and so, you know, pull out your best chili recipe, or if you want to bring some Things that go with chili, um, you know, drinks, etc., stuff like that. We're going to sort of dedicate that evening in that way and uh, celebrate the Christmas season together, um, yeah, with the Eucharistic meal. So those are things coming up. Uh,
0: Anything else that I missed announcement-wise, stuff happening?
1: That's good. We shouldn't have any more things until – okay. So, um, as we've done all four weeks of Advent, we've sort of had, you know, a homily, we've had wonderful music, and then we do Advent stations as a way of reflecting on the season and, um, you know, thinking about what what we're looking to see come about in the world, uh, what we're thinking about and expecting from the idea of God entering into the world at Christmas. So, we're going to do that again tonight, I'm going to sort of invite you to that shortly. Just want to recap, though, about the stations that we have in the room, in case you forgotten or don't remember all of them, um, we have our Contemplative Station back there behind the doors um, that's sort of focused around victims of violence of Durham in the last year. It's an opportunity to reflect on that, pray, um, think about think about that. Um, we have our Peace Flag Station right there behind the couches. Uh, we've got our Detournement Station over there, um, which is, you have an opportunity to engage some really kind of awful messages that are around Christmas and around violence and around things we lament in the world and have an opportunity to turn those things around by blacking things out or drawing a new message in and around those very discouraging messages. Um, we have our origami box-making station over here, and that, a lot like our whole advent, we've been building around our partner, Religious Coalition for a Nonviolent Durham, and the idea with the origami boxes is that they would serve as offering boxes through in through Lent and that at Easter... We would gather all that our communities given through those offering boxes, put it together, and purchase a headstone or potentially headstones um, for victims of violence in Durham. That's something that religious coalitions identified that's often just entirely absent. You're not a loved one is killed, and you don't have the funds that you need to to remember them in that way. So that's that's what that station's about. Um, and then, as always, we've got uh, the Eucharist table as a station. Um, like we say every week, it's an open table. Um, Feel free to come and break bread uh, for each other, pour wine and juice for each other. The wine is mulled, and it's very good. Um, So yeah, those are station opportunities for your reflection and and worship at this time. We'll call you back for a homily in, in a little bit. Also, great time to pass the peace of Christ to each other as we do each week. So I invite you to all those things.
3: So just out of quick curiosity, how many people are getting ready to travel like in the next day to, yeah, Indiana, are you guys going to South Carolina or, all right. Virginia for you guys, so know a lot of folks are hitting the road. And just out of curiosity, just for setup, Mass Way is this impossible calculus to figure out. As a generally young community, 20s and 30s, it's always impossible for us to figure out, you know, how big to set up during the holidays. Because we have a lot of people who who do travel for the holidays. Obviously, you can see that tonight. Um, Just for Molly and Mark's sake, I'm just curious, how many folks are going to be around on the 27th? If you're going to be, if you're pretty confident you're going to be around, so... That's good to know. That'll that'll help that set up to some degree. So uh, back in the early days of a Way, like the very first like Christmas, like maybe the 26th, we had an infamous night of seven. Mark, me, and Jenny's family. <laughs> Thank goodness Jenny brought the parents, parents along. <laughs> I don't know what Mark and I did that night. They've never been backs. So. <laughs> That's what we tell ourselves. Um, so just briefly tonight, um, you guys know, you, most of you know, we know each other well. I am one of those people who just literally burns for justice, equity, Goodness, I mean, that's just, I, in fact, I'm one of those people who just can't shut up when I need to shut up. I'm the, I'm the person who will bring up politics at the family dinner table or something. I mean, I just can't not do that. And I know it's not a good skill of mine. So um, as, a, as a corollary to that, there are very few things that I like more than a good, what I would call a reckoning, like movie, book text of any kind you know the type of thing where the the villains the greedy the insensitive get what they deserve. I love that film. I love that book. Uh, you know, when the photon torpedo uh, takes out the Death Star. I mean, I just love it. By the way, that's not a spoiler. There are no Death Stars in uh, this episode. But but I love that. I I love a narrative when things are made right. It it's it's something that that kind of captures my my soul. And just quickly, for any of you out there, do you have a? It can be very cheesy doesn't have to be not cheesy, but do you have, like, a favorite kind of righteous ending story, film, text, book? Uh, What's your favorite, if you have one of those that you like? Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've kind of all grown up on that. Uh, Mark, uh, Mark and I used to joke that when the last Harry Potter came out, uh, we were reading frantically to stay ahead of Kenan because he was just like a walking, my, a walking spoiler uh, moving around. But yeah, that's a good one. Anybody else that has like a favorite film, media piece, book, anything that has that kind of righteous ending?
1: is kind of, this is maybe a little cheesy, but I've always loved the end of It's a Wonderful
3: Life every year. I just love it when finally, like, George Bailey gets to see all these people that have, he's impacted their lives, and he had no idea, you know, that, that how much he had changed people's lives. I just love that. That's a great film. How many people watch that over the holidays usually at least once? Yeah, that's definitely so. Well, I also realize that In our community, because we know each other fairly well, um, there are people that we that are gathered in this room who are desperate for a a righteous ending. They're they're desperate for a reckoning in their own life. Uh, Anytime that that you have a group of people gather, I'm sure that if we were to kind of pile those things in the middle, we could could tell story after story of things that are part of our lives that are definitively wrong or definitively unfair or definitively, Painful, uh, but there's not an easy outcome to that. There's not an easy way to kind of reverse it and turn it around. So, just even talking about this, um, I know that this is um, a part of all of our lives this desire for a world that is made right, and certainly a world that's made right um, as it impacts our personal lives. No doubt about that. Um, one last point on reckonings before we look at the text is that it's also true that the reckonings that people desire when they imagine a better world or a world that's made right, uh, at times that can be incredibly visceral and misguided. Uh, In fact, I I think one of the things that you look at in terms of our political climate today is you've got a lot of people um, in many ways desperate for changes as we kind of go through this political cycle ad nauseum. Um, there are a lot of people desperate for for changes in the world that are, are probably deeply misguided as we listen to conversations about the uh, Syrian and refugee crisis and all sorts of things there. And some of the fear that's related that there's a lot of energy hoping for a better world that's actually not a, a better world. And, of course, you know, one of the things that's. One of the great powers of the biblical narrative. In fact, it's um, it's probably one of the most not safe books that we give to children um, is the sense that it is filled with story after story after story of, of imaginations of a world that are, that's flipped over and a world that's changed and a, a world that is uh, transformed. And tonight we're going to look at one of the texts. Uh, this is... Um, from uh, Luke one, it's it's Mary's kind of hearing of the birth of the child, and this is one of our kind of canon tests texts at Emmaus Way. I think we did an Advent several years ago where we looked at the story of Mary's song and did uh, a whole range of music around this. This is you know Emmaus Way canon, uh, but it, would somebody give me a quick read of this tonight? Uh, just start with verse forty six. So it's Luke 1, 46 through 55. If you've got it in front of you and want to read it, just go for it.
0: And here said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit
3: rejoices in God, the Savior, for He has with favor on the loneliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy
1: is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him. Generation to generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the low. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich
3: away. He has helped us in Israel remembers of his mercy, according to the promise he made our ancestors, Abraham and to his descendants forever. And they remain for about three months and then return to Abraham. Thanks, house. So when this young girl is told that she is, um, you know, we can imagine this girl 14, 15, 16 years old promised that she is going to give birth to this Christ child, this Messiah, the one they've been looking for. Um, Mark, you said this really well last week in the music uh, when we did Silent Night. And we're imagining not only the, the birth of Christ, but but the promise of the birth of Christ. And we live in a culture, particularly on the more affluent and comfortable side of our culture, um, even the sentimental side of our culture, where we've been deeply programmed to see this story in a certain way, to see it as beautiful, to see it as something that, that leads toward a, a more pleasant or a more comfortable or a society, a, an event that reinforces who we we totally are already as persons. But that kind of pre-programming of reading this story is really not the text that's in front of us. So Mary is given this pronouncement that she is going to, to give birth, and she's overwhelmed with this. It's it's In fact, it's amazing what her insight is in terms of this moment, and what does she sing? Uh, she sings a song, and it's a song of, like we were talking about earlier, it's a song of reckoning. It's a song of reversal. It's a, a song that describes an absolute change in the world that... Um, That we live in. I mean, you just look at that text really quickly, and the images of uh, bringing down the powerful from their thrones, lifting up the lowly, uh, filling the hungry with good things, sending the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel. It's it's a it's a story of a incredible reversal, a world that's flipped on its head, and this is the image. That Mary presents, and this is actually the image of Luke's gospel. Um, one of the things that that we've looked at many, many times in Luke chapter four is when Jesus speaks for the very first time in his hometown. Um, he picks a text like this uh, from Isaiah and says that these very things, this world that's being turned on its head, is actually happening because I'm here. Uh, so it's a, it's an amazing story. It's one that promises. An entirely different world and it invites us to participate perhaps in the way that we've been programmed not to participate in terms of the work of God. In fact, one of the things I would say as I reflect on this text um, this week, I think one of the great privileges of my life has been kind of part of the academic part of my life these last couple years. As I've been doing um, research and observation and participation in North Carolina's moral movement. Um, One of the things that I I think back this this year sitting in a slave plantation uh, that has been kind of given over toward uh, justice work and hearing this rationale preached and presented and offered as a way of living in the world, a world that expects um, not more of the same. But, but a vision of a world where those that are lowly are given uh, great opportunity, where the barriers that that are given toward those who are blocked for progression in our, our society, whether it's by race, by gender, or any other thing, are overwhelmed. This has been something that's been incredibly beautiful in terms of just my own life that has made texts like this stand out. Because I think even from having the love of of a reckoning, a world made right—that I have. There's many times that I would read a text like this and think, "This isn't. This isn't possible at all." We can scream for these things. We can yearn for these things. We can. We can hope and desperately hope for a world that's made right. But I don't know that that will ever happen. And I think over the last several years, I've probably spent more time with people who are not looking at this type of promise as an abstraction, but a way of life for them. Last week, I know I was joking about that, but I would say that Marsha Owen, who uh, was our guest uh, with the, the Religious Coalition for Nonviolent Durham, is one of those people who has committed 30 years of her life in terms of naming those that are lost in terms of restoring people whose families have been broken by violence, uh, by giving people who've committed violence another opportunity. She's literally looked at a text like this and said, this is going to be the marching order of my life. Um, There's two things that I thought that might be interesting to think about from this text, and they're quick and simple. Um, But when we read a text like this, I think there's a profound invitation to discern our status as we read a story like this. For example, when Mary reads the story, she embraces her lowliness. She knows where she fits into this story. When she's talking about someone being raised up, she's not just talking about people out there, she's talking about her herself. And I think one of the greatest problems in our world, and we see this again and again, in fact, racism kind of lives in this reality, is this idea that uh, that our, the perpetrators in our world are actually victims. And, and you can hear this again and again and again of people who are actually part of the dominant culture, people of the greatest privilege, often describing a world that they live in as a world that's a threat to them rather than the threat that they create for others. Um, But uh, I think that's absolutely important. Also, I think we see this very often that uh, people who are victims of injustice and victims of woundedness often misidentify the people that are oppressing them. I think there's another thing that we see very prominently in racism, is that the people who are often galvanized as an army uh, of of prejudice are the people that are also the victims of the same legislation, the same issues that impact their lives the same way as, as persons of color or any other marginalized group. So I think reading a text like this is really important for us to be very deeply aware of our status understand in places where we are a perpetrator, understand in a way uh, ways that we're victims, and be able to identify rightly uh, what what makes us and others victims in this world. And I think this is the second thing that I'll say, and the last thing that I'll say on this, is that when you look at Mary's song here, it is filled, uh, and scroll to the, or look over to the text. It, it begins with this whole idea of, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God. It's actually a powerful song of worship and a song of praise and gratitude. And I think this song points to, and it's something I know we talk a lot about here as a part of our worshiping life, is that worship can be incredibly seditious. Worship can be the thing that, in many ways, Changes the perspective that we have, helps us see ourselves more honestly, and help us see the world that we are uh, are living in more honestly. It, it, it's an opportunity when we gather as a community, and was we gather at the community at the table each week, to be able to write some of the confusions that get in the way of of living out the reckoning that's described here. It helps us name those who oppress us. It helps us rightly identify those who are our liberators, and it helps us name ourselves properly. And I think one of the other acts of worship that's absolutely critical is it aligns us with the one that's intervening. And I think that's what happens in this story with Mary that's profound, is that she not only sees herself in her lowly position, but she rightly and excitedly names Yahweh as the intervening one, the one that is making the world right. Um, and, And in naming that, not only does her gratitude allow her to pause and accept the work of God, but it gives her an opportunity to step into action. So as we look back on what was a great week last week, I think that's one of the things that that stands out to us. This is a reminder that these texts are not abstractions. These visions are not just hopeful, wistful things. But we as a people are being constantly invited into collaboration with this vision. And it's not a simple vision. It's not a polite vision. It's a vision that imagines not only a far more beautiful and a far more just world, but it's one that enlists us in that work. Um Miley and I and Mark and Ben and um, Ellen and others in the, uh, the text team were talking about what we'll be doing next in um in in January, one of the things that we want to do is look at a variety of images of justice that come out of the biblical text and then talk about how those images inform not only our imagination but our work together. And I think this is a powerful text that in some ways calls us to a different expectation of the world that we live in and perhaps even a much greater awareness of what are the ways of that reversal happening in the world that we live in. God, I want to invite you to lead us uh, in songs and Advent and uh, look forward to kind of continuing this with all of you.
0: Please help best sing along to all these songs. omitting the rubber cigar verse of this one? Chat. search me
3: thanks guys for joining us tonight and want to invite everybody if you didn't get a chance to join us at the communion table and uh, thank you Skyler for being with us tonight and hope all of you travel safely and travel well if you're leaving town in the next few days and we'll see you soon